On a Saturday morning, Elizabeth and I have a, a routine. We, if, if we're not at the prayer meeting or if we are at the prayer meeting, after the prayer meeting on a Saturday morning, we go down the main street here. We get a few essentials, including the Saturday paper, and then we come back up the road and we have a milky coffee. And the paper gets split up into appropriate parts. One part for Elizabeth, which usually contains the holiday section. Uh, <laughs> And another part for me. And one of the sections within the paper, in the particular paper I get, the Saturday Review, reviews books. And I came across this review just two weeks ago, a fortnight ago. And its heading is, A Lockdown Skeptic You Can Trust. And it's a book that has been written by Mark Woodhouse. Towards the end of January 2020, we're told, Mark Woodhouse, who was a professor of epidemiology. Oh, I'm quite pleased I could actually say that. That word, epidemiology, at the University of Edinburgh, was telling his wife about his work day at work. He was very concerned about a new virus in China and had been in contact with Scotland's chief medical officer. Now, that was the lady, you remember, who thought that the lockdown restrictions didn't apply to her. She could still have nice weekends in Fife. Um, so that was her, not the one that is present. So he was in contact with her. And he said, I received a polite reply, Mark says, telling me that everything was under control. And then he goes on to say, but it clearly wasn't. The problem, Woolhouse, it's Woolhouse, not Woodhouse, Woolhouse said, was that what he and his colleagues were talking about seemed too extreme. We were asking officials and politicians to engage about a scenario lifted from a science fiction movie, he writes. They simply couldn't take it in. Woolhouse felt like Cassandra cursed to be disbelieved. I was talking this through with my wife, broke off in mid-sentence, she, she broke, I was talking this through with my wife, broke off in mid-sentence, put my arms around her and burst into tears. And the, the review of the book goes on to say that this professor firmly believes, and I'm conscious that you know hindsight's a great thing and people already are starting to prepare themselves. It wasn't for the invasion of Ukraine. This would be far more of an issue in the media, starting to prepare themselves for uh, the, the investigation of what took place. But he would argue that it was our slowness, our refusal to face up to the infection from China that meant that we then had, and I'm not going to go through all this, we then had what has turned out to be a disastrous lockdown in the end of March 2020, a lockdown which he argues would not have been necessary if we had responded earlier with other restrictions, and a lockdown which in terms of people's lives and circumstances and situations cost more lives probably now, than actually if the virus had been, to a certain degree, allowed to spread. That's a controversial argument. I appreciate that. But when I read it, it rang bells with the situation with Putin and Russia. An unwillingness, perhaps for commendable reasons, to not believe what the evidence suggests. A desire, again, perhaps for understandable reasons, to bury one's head in the sand. 
But history tells us, and I would suggest that actually the professor was right. Anybody who watched the news from the beginning of 2020 would see it was rising up. That if we do bury our head in the sands, if we do, perhaps again, as I say, to shelter ourselves, to shelter others, refuse to allow the evidence to begin to speak into our minds and hearts, then history tells us the consequences often are worse. As somebody who knows history and loves history, these events over these last past weeks and months have such a striking connection, the relevance with Putin and with Ukraine, with what Hitler did in the latter 1930s. The Ukrainian question could be replaced by the Czech question or the Danzig question, the Polish question. The words and comments and visits of world leaders coming back seemingly with one thing while people in charge in Russia were planning something else again is the story of the 1930s. And there's no doubt that now we are faced and the Ukrainian people are faced with a dreadful situation and with a Russia led by someone who wouldn't give a damn about pressing the button and sending countless millions to wherever. And that should not surprise us. Because as Christians, we are called to be able to understand the times in which we live. Indeed, one of the sad things, and I've said this in the past, one of the sad things was how many Christian leaders failed to understand the times in which we lived over these last two years and therefore failed to speak prophetically with a message of hope in the midst of all that we held. Indeed, I read another article yesterday. I'm not going to read that. That would take too long. We criticize Russia for their propaganda, and rightly so. But the writer there saying, well, really, in many ways, we had 18 months of the last two years where we effectively were given propaganda. Ofcom wouldn't allow anyone else to appear in the media that would call into question, for instance, the masks that most of us wear. Not the medical ones, but the ones that we wear would not call into question the actions of the government persuaded by those who were giving them advice as towards lockdowns or other restrictions. They were kept off the air. There was a degree of state control of what we heard. But as Christians, we are meant to see through that. Verses which we will return to next week in Luke chapter 12 are very clear about that. Jesus, in Luke chapter 12, speaking to the crowd, when you see a cloud, verse 54, rising the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And with the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, earth and the sky. How is it you don't know how to interpret this present time? Now, of course, Jesus there is primarily speaking about him and his ministry and all that that meant. But we are still living in the time of Jesus. We are still living in the day of the kingdom. And as Christians, we are called to be aware that even in our own day and our own generation, God is working his purposes out as year succeeds year. And as Christians, especially those of us who have been blessed with a brain and education, and many of us with university education, are called to think through things and not to be like sheep led to the slaughter or to bury our heads in the sand or to refuse to ignore what's going on round about it. 
and retreat into some sort of pietistic shelter from the realities of the world. Indeed, Jesus just earlier on in Luke chapter 12 says this, for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And for the one who has been trusted with much, much more will be asked. And the church, particularly here in the West, has been blessed with much in terms of reading, in terms of books, in terms of materials, in terms of the abilities to gather like this. But the time of testing showed and has showed whether actually enabled us to think things through. And even if we come to different opinions, at least there are opinions which are based on genuine thinking and not just in what we're told to think. And those verses we heard earlier from Luke 21 are particularly given for that purpose. Now we've referred to these events in the past. Jesus is speaking here prophetically, and we've spoken in the past of how that means that he's speaking about various events. In fact, I was quite encouraged. I was somewhere recently where somebody used the same illustration that I often use of, of coming over the hill and looking down into the fourth valley just as you get towards Stirling. And you see the hills behind Stirling. The Oakle Hills, is that right? And then you see the Perthshire Hills. Then you see the Grampian Mountains. And they're all kind of behind each other. And as you go over the brow of the hill and look over the valley, then they look as if they're just right behind each other. Of course, they're not. Perspective means that they look as if they're but actually they're separated by a distance and the events that Jesus is speaking about here are events that go through human history he speaks yes about the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 it's surrounded by enemies and we've seen this week in television of how awful that is for a city to be surrounded to see a city besieged and, and he speaks about that and the terrible things that happened then he speaks about the scattering of the Jews they will fall by the sword and will be taken and as prisoners, verse 24, to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentile until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled and the dispersion of the Jewish people throughout the known world. And also, of course, draws allusion to the fact that the restoration of Jerusalem and the return of the Jews to Israel also speak of events that are, are happening even now and have, has happened certainly within many of our own lifetime. He speaks about the world as it is. Is nations rising against nation, verse 10, and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes and famines and pestilence in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. And he's speaking about human history and about the events of that history. But he's also speaking about how those events will speed up the hourglass. Not many of us now actually probably use, not an hourglass, but an egg timer. But of those of us, you know what an egg timer is? Yes, yes. And do you know what it is? I'm looking at the younger ones here. Do you know what that is? Yes. And uh, well, you notice, doesn't it, that when when it, you turn it upside down to, for your time for your egg or, or for time for whatever, and, and it goes down. At first, it seems to go down quite slowly as the sand drops through to the bottom part. But interesting enough, as it gets towards the end, it seems to speed up. I still remember talking to David Miller many years ago when the International Christian College went bust. And I asked him, did you not realize that it was going bust financially? And he used that very illustration. Yes, we knew the funds were going down. But suddenly, one day, the treasurer came in and said, yes, the funds are going down. And like the hourglass, they're going down now very quickly to get towards the end. Well, that's in a sense what Jesus is saying here. There is a momentum speeding up. There are events which have taken place, which will increasingly take place. 
just need to look at the events within our world, the global events within our world, within our environment, creation groaning, waiting for its deliverance. And all of those events, along with Israel, Jerusalem, and other things, which would suggest, and which in fact do suggest, do tell us that we're neither the end than we are at the beginning of the end times, which of course are the days from the day that Jesus ascended to heaven till the day that when he returns. Now, what I'm not saying this morning, of course, is that there's a specific date for that event. Indeed, Jesus himself makes it very clear. If you have your Bibles, flick back to Mark chapter 13, where Mark gives a very full account of Basically the same things as what Jesus has recorded in Luke's gospel. In Mark 13 and verse 32, we read this. I'll let you look it up while I get a wee drink of water. And I can't find my specs, so I'm glad I've got a big print Bible. Verse 32 of Mark 13. And Jesus says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And so as Christians, we are meant to live with that sense of, is it today? Come, Lord Jesus. But we're also meant to be aware that as various things begin to happen, people, God's people, are meant to be prepared. And so in verse 25, There'll be, back in Luke's gospel in verse 25 in chapter 21. There'll be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehension of what is, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And so God's church, God's people, are, are to be prepared for the day when it comes. And I'm certainly not saying this morning that the Lord is going to return today or next week. But I would want to suggest to you that the events of our times and their global impact, of course, there have been other periods in world history where people could have said, well, here's Jesus, and there's Jesus, indeed Jesus refers to that. But in terms of its global impact, in terms of what's happening within the environment, in terms of the whole structure of a world, the resources of a world running out, and in various other ways, then yes. We know neither the day nor the hour. But the hourglass is running out. So how are we to respond? 
well, very simply, and well, not simply, very profoundly, but relatively easily or quickly, we're going to look at that. Look at verse 8, Jesus. The, the context, of course, is the disciples have seen the temple. They've seen the beautiful stones were told and the gifts dedicated. And Jesus says to them, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left or another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? And he replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he. The time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. What are we to do? Well, first of all, we are to watch out. We are to see. We are to think. We're not to just be looking into our own interests. It's very, very easy, especially in challenging times, to put down the shutters, to withdraw into our own little nuclear family, our own little domain. We are meant, as God's people, to be those heralds standing on the watchtower, to be those who are looking and reflecting on the times in which we live, so that when people at our work, when people in our families, other folks express concern, we are meant to be able to bring something from the Lord and bring it to bear on their fears and concerns. I had some stuff passed on to me about what Putin understands of his role in all that's happening. And there would appear to be a very strong understanding from him, a messianic understanding. His calling, even from God, is to restore Mother Russia, to restore the lands of the original believers in Russia. And it's to do with Kiev and the conversion of Rus Kiev or Kiev, Rus, whatever his name is, who was converted supposedly um, by Orthodox priests and therefore thwarted the attack of the godless hordes that were going to come down and destroy the Holy Roman Empire and the Orthodox Church. And, and Putin sees his calling as he gets towards the end of his life to be a sort of Messiah, to restore not just Russia, but, but the faith of Russia to its place. And many will come in the name of God and will claim to be messianic. And will see that their calling is to bring in that time. And if that involves pressing a nuclear button and sending millions of people to wherever, well, perhaps that is what his understanding is of carrying out his role. That's, we've seen it already, haven't we, with Islamic fundamentalists and the messianic mindset there, flying planes into the Twin Towers in New York. And that messianic, that false messianic spirit is all too prevalent in our world. And again, I'm sorry to say, but it doesn't just miss Britain. Where we have some people who have set themselves up effectively as the fount of all knowledge and the answer of all ills and all problems, whether that be COVID or anything else. We are to watch out. And we're not to be taken in. It was interesting this morning on the religious program in BBC Four, Radio Four, of hearing priests of the Orthodox Church in Britain, for instance, writing to the Archbishop of or the, the Patriarch of the Orthodox Church in Russia, challenging him to make a stand against this false Messiah. If they do that, they're probably going to at best end up in prison, if not lose their lives. But nonetheless, we are to watch out. And the consequence of that is, therefore, there's going to be problems. 
Jesus goes on, verse 12, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. You'll be brought before kings and governors on an account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how, how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me but not a hair of your head will perish stand firm and you will win life we have all been moved no doubt by the stand of the ukrainian people over these past days the bravery of the soldiers and of the citizens as they take stand against their invader and we've been stirred by that and encouraged by that and rightly so with the calling of the church and this is a picture of the church that sadly even as i grew up within the church was sadly forgotten about the picture of the church often was let's be honest it was a group of nice folk who would never cause a stir, who were always doing good deeds, and just smiled. And if there were guys that were limp-wristed and, you know, shook their hand, it was like holding a sponge. They wouldn't cause any problem. They're just kind of nice. That is a parody of the church of God. We are an army. We're conscripted by the king of kings. We're enabled by the power of the Spirit to wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to be clothed by the battlefield protection of the things of God, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. And we're called, yes, to engage in a war. Yes, a war against the principalities and powers of this present age who have deceived people and blinded people and lead people on a merry march to the very gates of hell. That's the calling of the church. To speak into our times by the Spirit to wake up the dead and to proclaim that the only shelter there is is in Jesus Christ and in his righteousness. That's the calling of the church. And our brothers and sisters in Christ, as they have borne witness to that all throughout the world, and we as a congregation know that and know what that has cost many of them, including their death. We are to call, we are to stand firm and to be confident, not in ourselves, but in the faith once given to the saints and not to give ground. We are to watch out, we are to stand firm and we are to lift up our eyes. Verse 28 again. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Again, the situation in Ukraine, I'm sure we've seen on television if we've been following it or on social media, the president of Ukraine, many of you will now know that he was actually a comedian. In fact, I think Channel 4 tonight is actually showing the comedy scene. It's sort of got to drama stroke comedy series that appeared on um, before he became president in Rio in Ukraine he actually had been an actor and he was in a series where as a teacher he for a series of various events becomes the president of a country and then of course in real life that's what happens and many people including his political opponents 
It's a democracy, so they were entitled to their views, thought, well, he is a bit of a comic, he's not up to the task, and come the first real challenge, he'll just fall apart. Well, has he? No. So it's so interesting, though, as many of you know, he's Jewish. His own relatives, his grandparents' relatives, some of them died in the concentration camps. Just think how painful that is to be accused of being a Nazi when your own relatives were killed at the hands of Nazis. And his appearance in his green jacket and his green t-shirt and his increasing beard, he has sought to rally his people. And people have listened and watched and been inspired by him. Somebody who was counted as an entity, but has been raised up to be a leader. It's often the case, those who, you know, well, we're called to focus our attention, not on any earthly leader. By all means, we give them respect and we're meant to do that and pray for them. Of course we do. Not in any minister or priest or patriarch or bishop. We're called to fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the shame and suffering of the cross. And the writer of the Hebrews always loved that little bit. After he says that, what does he say? Consider him. That, my friends, is the one we're to lift our up eyes to. He is the one we are to look to by the Spirit in these challenging days. He is the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one who holds that scroll of history. But he is also the one who is the man of sorrows, the suffering servant, acquainted with grief, who took upon ourselves the Lamb of God who came to take away our sins. This is our God. This is Jesus, the servant king. My friends, we are called to lift our up eyes to him. And, to, and how moved I was when I saw, I'm hopeless, was a Christian, had that wee smile on his face as a wee penny dropped. And it wasn't a smile, it was a, all right. When I said that we would see Jesus on that day when we gather at the marriage supper of the Lamb. How our hearts should be warmed as we look to that day. And how our hearts are inspired to walk the way of faith. The little children have so much to tell us. We lift up our heads to the coming king. But we're warned. In the meantime, we are to be careful. Verse 34, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a storm, or like a trap. For it will come in those who live on the come, will come in all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Be careful. These last two years has been a time of testing, perhaps a time of testing. For a time like this. A time of refining. So that at a time like this. And economically and everything. I mean, obviously we trust there's not going to be a war. A global war. A World War III. But even without that. Economically and socially. You know this idea that you know. Your children did better than you. And their children did. You know and this whole thing. You know the post-war welfare state humanism. I've spoken about in the past. My friends that's down the drain. That's down the drain. 
we're going to face very trying times. Our children are going to face, and I, I saw last Sunday, they were rightly concerned. Any, I'm troubled, I'm a grandparent. What kind of world is our children going to grow up in? It's not the world that many of us were blessed with. And rightly were troubled in our hearts. But we're to be careful. Perhaps you're not going to leave this place and allow carousing and drunkenness to get the better of you. Perhaps you're not listening to this program this morning or whenever it is and are going to go out and get blotted. Maybe you are. Well, you shouldn't. But perhaps more importantly, the anxieties of life can so easily do that. We've seen that again over these last two years. How it grows up like the weeds in the parable of the seed and the sower and surround us and choke out life and prevent us from growing up into him who is the head, even Jesus Christ. That can so easily happen to all of us. We have to be careful that we don't so that we're ready, so that we watch, so that we pray, so that we can give an account for the hope that is within us, even when at times things seem pretty hopeless. Let's not bury our heads in the sand. Hope it all goes away. But let's stand up. Let's watch out. Let's lift up our heads. Let's be careful. For such a time as this, God has placed you and me in this house of God. I don't know about you, but that fills us, filled me with hope and with confidence that this is the day that the Lord has made and we rejoice and are glad to be found together upon it. Let's sing together a hymn that is a prayer reflecting on the challenge of the world in which we live, but also that promise that someday Christ will come. Great is the darkness that covers the earth, oppression, injustice, and pain. Nations are slipping in hopeless despair, though many have come in your name. And we'll stand to sing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Let us pray. We would still our hearts and minds, O God, in your presence. We would confess that so easily the anxieties of life, even before COVID and the crisis in Ukraine, the anxieties of life have choked out and often would seek to entrap us and cause us not to look up and look out, but to draw us into ourselves, to cause us to bury our heads in the sand. And especially those of us who have been blessed with education and access to information, we have to confess we have not always sought to read and reflect on these things and to hear things 
with that mind of Christ, dependent upon your Holy Spirit, aware of the counsel and teaching of the whole Word of God. And I include myself in that as much as anyone else. But we also hear your chance, those who have been given much, much as expected. We have been blessed in so many ways. Individually, as a congregation, the church in the West in Britain. And we hear your reminder that much therefore is expected from us. And so we confess our sins, our failings, our failures, our frailty. Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. And not only upon our own situation, but we pray for your church, particularly the church in this country that has so often failed you, either by going down that road of liberalism where effectively we've stripped out everything that was supernatural, everything that was other, out of the faith, out of your word, or else we've swung the other way and made it very much into me and Jesus, and as long as that's okay, then everything else, well, doesn't really matter. And we confess that neither have been true to what you have said in Scripture nor have there been the message that we were called to share with our society. And so, as part of your church, the one church of Jesus Christ, we confess our sins, our failure, our fallenness, our frailty. Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, have mercy upon us. We ask, O oh God, that in your mercy you might not deal with us as our sins deserve, but as far as east is from the west, so far remove our transgressions from us. Although our sins be as scarlet, cleanse us and make us white as snow. For as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For as we come to take this bread and this wine, we are reminded visually, as Lord Jesus, you intended us to be, we are reminded of what it means for our sins to be forgiven, what it means for men and women to be able to have fellowship with their Creator God of what it means for a fallen and broken world to know your grace and to be restored and brought into your family. It meant, Jesus, everything for you. And so humble us. Stir within us a growing hunger that we might lift our eyes up to the very heights of heaven and therefore walk our daily lives in the light of the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ. 
Hear us now as we sum up all our prayers in the words of that family prayer that you have given us to say, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For most of us, we hear these familiar words from the Apostle Paul when he wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We come to this table not because any righteousness of our own gives us the right to come, but we come in humble faith, resting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, in whom we are clothed with His right living. We remember those words of the psalmist who said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who makes God his refuge. May this bread and wine be to us the token and pledge of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, all meant for us if we but come in humble faith. So I invite you to take your piece of bread that you have with you. We can never really enter into what it meant for Jesus on that cross to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one who lived in perfect harmony and unity with the Father above for that time knew what it was to be lost and alone and separated from the Father. But he did that so that you and me can know fellowship with God. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat and remember Christ who died for us. And as we take our little glass of communion wine, that reminds us of the blood of Jesus 
There is no forgiveness of sins, the Bible tells us, without the shedding of blood, a life given so that a life may be received. So remember the words of Jesus who said, take and drink. This cup speaks of the new relationship made possible with God through my death. We remember him. Let's pray together. Be still, I know that I am God. Be still. Lord Jesus, you are the rock of ages, the great I am. You are the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one who said, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so we place our times and our lives into your hands. And we remember especially this morning those who are dear and close in our hearts, family members facing a time of increasing ill health and the concerns and the worries that that brings children who are maybe asking questions and were troubled about why they're asking those questions because they've heard things or seen things or picked things up. Workmates and colleagues who think that any moment we're going to be facing a nuclear confrontation. Those wearied with life those burdened with all sorts of troubles in mind and body and spirit. Lord Jesus, we bring them to you now and ask that you might graciously use our hands, our lives, what we say, 
who we are, what we do, to minister your grace and mercy to those who are in need. Lord Jesus Christ, hear us as we pray. And may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep our hearts and minds fixed in the love and in the knowledge of him. Let's conclude our service by singing together a song that reminds us of Jesus, of who he was, of what he did, of what he means to us here and now, and what it will be at the last to see him face to face. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. We lift up our eyes and heads for the day of our redemption draweth near. Let's say the words of the grace together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.